Sunday, September 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Tracy Harris, and with me today is co-host Don Baker. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Uh, the Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. Today, our announcements include that you can come on down to the Free Thought Library on Koenig and join us for dinner at the sh- uh, after the show we're going to be having Costco pizza and salad. So it's a pizza party today if you want to come down and just to hang out and socialize and, you know, be atheist or anybody's welcome as long as they're not preachy and coming to convert everybody. So let's see. We have some other announcements. October 6th, there's going to be a packing party here at the Free Thought Library as well. And you can bring gently used shoes, I've been told. So they're going to be packing all kinds of things, but there's like a shoe drive that's going to happen. And you can bring your gently used shoes. Uh, They're also going to be collecting to give those away. You can drop them off um, as well here at the library anytime before the 6 during regular hours. So you can either bring them with you to the packing party or you can drop them at the library if you're not going to be able to attend the packing party and you have shoes to bring. Bring them on down anytime during regular library hours. And then on October 7th, Phil Sessions has organized um, the giveaway, which I'm sure people are invited to participate in as well. They'd probably like volunteers for that as well, for Atheists Helping the Homeless, um, their regular giveaway things. And the other announcement that I have is to be sure to stay tuned to this channel for Secular Sexuality, which airs directly after this episode of The Atheist Experience. So there might be a slight delay, but be sure that um, once we change out our hosts in the studio, we'll go ahead and start up Secular Sexuality. So that's coming up next right after the show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fun time. And we had had the back cruise last weekend and lots of -of out-of-town visitors. Oh yeah, tell me because I couldn't. It was the well, one I could not make. It was so. <laughs> well, we had a we had a full boat, and uh, the, we got to see the bats just very briefly. Um, I wasn't able to make the lecture myself, but uh, we had a lot of events and activities, and uh, a lot of exhausted people. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Matt was certainly looking worn out. Because <laughs> he had guy. to be up early to do the magic show. Right, right. So uh, it was a pretty successful weekend. Oh how. That's yeah. just great. I'm, I was so sorry that I wasn't able to attend. I was out of town. Yep. Um, and it you... happens to me too sometimes. Some <laughs> years, right? I yeah. I, I, it's like I think it's the first one I've missed in it like ever. Mm-hmm. So I was very disappointed. Well, you that. were missed. Ah, now it's heartbreaking. And I also, because I, I like Mandisa, and so I really mm-hmm. wanted, you know, was looking forward to seeing her. And when I realized yeah. the dates, so I was just like, ah. Uh, yeah. What can you do? So you're tripping everybody up today because we're all like, what's your next failure, what's the next failure? series? I'm, I'm taking a break for the failures yeah, today. Yeah, not we're new. We don't have a failure of Christianity. Instead, we have. It's, uh, the title of the show is uh, Standing Up for Sitting Down. And this is about um, a girl by the name of India Landry, who is a Texas high school student in the Houston area who has been expelled for sitting down during the daily Pledge of Allegiance in her school. And she says, I don't think the flag is what it says it's for, for liberty and justice and all that. It's not obviously what's going on in America today. And she had been inspired by the NFL players such as uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem and the flag displays uh, to protest police brutality. But her motivations are her own and and she's welcome to those. Uh, Texas law allows 
first off, Texas law requires that students say the pledge, both the U.S. pledge and the Texas pledge. And it allows parents to submit a letter claiming exemption from standing from the pledge, standing for the pledge. And, uh, but it's mandatory otherwise. And she has been given a choice to stand or be expelled. And it's, it, the, the truth is a bit murkier and we'll get to some of those facts in a minute. Um, and she will not be graduating with her class and she is suing, uh, along with federal, uh, uh, with an attorney, uh, Randall Callanan. And they, she's suing in federal court over her free speech rights, and the trial is slated for April 2019. Um, and in July, uh, Cypress Fairbanks ISD uh, over in Houston tried unsuccessfully to get the case dismissed. Um, the principal has been a bit wishy-washy on this. Um, uh, her, her sitting has been tolerated hundreds of times, according to one quote, and over 200 in another quote. So, um, ultimately, um, the expulsion came after Trump started to tweet complaints about the NFL's players kneeling and it became more of a hot button, hot button issue. And in fact, the principal said, this isn't the NFL. You won't do this here. And, uh, uh, the principal also said she can't come to my school if she won't stand for the pledge. Uh, the principal has refused to accept the mother's permission to skip it. So, so uh, it seems that both sides have dug their heels in, uh, and, um, the uh, mother tried to write a note, but told the daughter will not be allowed back at all until she stands with or without the note. And that's just a clear dick move as far as I'm concerned. Um, the principal also seems to have trumped up allegations against the student after the fact that were news to the parent. Um, and it seems that the, the principal was pissed off that some uppity little black girl with good grades was getting, uh, getting, was upsetting the government ceremonies and causing students to learn and think for themselves. Who can't, can't have that in school. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay. So Texas law said, so, says the Pledge of Allegiance must be recited as well as the, the allegiance to the Texas state flag. The Texas pledge reads, Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God, one and indivisible. Kind of, kind of cheesy in my mind. Yeah. Um, the U.S. pledge, I'm sure most of our, our readers will know, was uh, dates originally to 1892 and it reflects the post-Civil War sentiment of unity. And the original pledge read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The under God stuff was added in 1953 as a Cold War mechanism of corrupting our constitution as a way of hindering communism. Go figure. <laughs> uh, and and uh, now Putin is a good guy, right? Putin, like, Putin's a good guy, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of Cold War stuff that happened. There, we had the, the motto and the stuff put on our currency, the National Day of Prayer. Mm -hmm. All that was largely due to Billy Graham and uh, Cold War propaganda that we're, we're the, you know, we're the God-believing country, all that. Now, uh, there's a very relevant Supreme Court ruling in 1943, which is 75 years ago, my goodness, that students didn't have to, don't have to stand for the pledge. And there's two ironies here. One is, 
Um, it was the Jehovah's Witnesses that actually caused this to be. This is a very early church-state separation case that was brought by the Jehovah's Witnesses. They yeah. don't. They didn't want to pledge to them. Right. Well, I mean, they're very, very separate from state. I mean, they separate a lot right. from a lot of and things. And they don't. And, they don't give oaths to any. Right. Anything. They won't be in right. the military. They're exempt. And, and that's fine. That's that's a valid reason oh, not, yeah. not to do it. Um, the other irony is back then when you pledged to the to the to the flag, you had to do it with a Nazi style salute. <laughs> and there's a lot of pictures that have been kind of taken off the internet from about that. So that uh, it's actually written in that in that particular ruling. Maybe India could say her <laughs> pledge like that, That's the right. traditional way. <laughs> the traditional way. Yeah. So God, 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 God. A faction of Christians in the U.S. want very much to manipulate that captive audience in the public school students and indoctrinate them into Christianity. Prayer in schools and other religious teachings has largely been thwarted, however. But the pledge and the motto seem to be ways of shoving Christianity down the throats of students via recitations and drills and placards and all that good stuff. And, and under God. And under God, right, yeah. Uh, and there's this, in my mind, bullshit equivocation that God isn't religious, religious or it doesn't really mean Christianity right. or it's ceremonial deism. And it's, well, no, 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 no. It's ceremonial deism when you're arguing it before SCOTUS. But the minute you walk out of those court doors, it's a Christian nation. That's right. Right? And you just proved it in court because now God is on the pledge and God is in the money yeah, and it's, it's a, because it's we're a Christian a nation. Lie. And then That's you walk right. back in the court and it's the deist yeah. tradition and you walk through. The, it's like a magic door, right? right? Where it changes like what it is your Absolutely. Your and you, you see that too. It's sure. A, Everyone two, sees it. Yeah. Even the Christians see it. That's why they know not to go into court and argue that it's the Christian God. They They lie in court. And then they come out and tell the truth about what it is they were really trying to accomplish. That's right. Yeah, and that's the we that's take, Christian. We I won mean, one for Jesus. And, so. and I want to just point out that we're talking here specifically about the the subset of highly politicized Christianity. That, mm-hmm. that there are plenty of Christians who probably separate who are very in favor of separation of church and state. Who probably would stand behind this young woman. Yep. Uh, so I don't want to just sort of you know group them, but those those highly Political Christians have no morality and no sense of ethic, and they just don't have – there's no bar to how low they'll sink. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I want to point out that that because of this God stuff in in both pledges, uh, what we have here is we have the government compelling a religious observance, and this is blatantly unconstitutional. Um, So – if religious freedom means anything, it means freedom from religion, right? Or from freedom from your religion or whatever. And well, what about compelling patriotism? Um, it, it may be that saying the pledge is a patriotic act, but if you are compelling it, it's it's no longer patriotic. It's right. more like a, it's more like conscription. Or I, I guess in my <laughs> mind, right? If you really wanted a young black person to be. To, to feel more loyalty to our society here in the U.S., one way to do that would be to make sure that they're treated with equality when it comes to our legal system and our system of justice and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And that maybe if they felt like they actually were considered full citizens and treated like other citizens and given the same sort of regard and respect and, you know, fair fairness— that Absolutely. the rest of us all understand we're entitled to and seem to expect and generally get from law enforcement and from our justice system and from our prisons and, you know, like sure. just extrapolate it out. If we treated them like 
citizens who are treated like citizens, maybe then they'd be like, I don't, I don't know if patriotic is the right word, but they would certainly feel more of a sense of affinity right. for a society that didn't treat them like Investment crap. and ownership. And right. The, the, right. The, less, the less fair and the less, the less you treat certain demographics as though they actually have rights— when you start treating people as subhumans and subcitizens within your society, and then you start demanding that they stand up and express how much they love the society, it's just cruel. Yeah. I mean, that's a cruelty, right? I mean, it's one thing to treat people really well and say, hey, we think you should appreciate the fact that we treat everybody, try to treat everybody really well in this society. But when you are, you know, looking at a group of people being treated like garbage, and then you're saying, oh, they're horrible for not, you know, expressing their affinity and loyalty toward the group. It's like, well, maybe we need to express some affinity and loyalty toward those citizens, and then that will be reciprocated on a voluntary basis instead of a compulsory basis. Sure, sure. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this has got my, my, got my blood going, too. So, um, so I feel strongly that patriotism is, is not the result of something being coerced? No, it's, and it should never be. If you as a society can't inspire your citizens to want to be loyal and want to participate, you need to stop and look at what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. You need to stop and say, why is this group unhappy? Right. What, can we, yeah. what can we why do? Why are they feeling marginalized? Yeah. What are, what's going on here? And is there anything we can do to sort of help Absolutely. make them feel more integrated instead of making them feel more divided and separated and, and threatened? <laughs> so as a compromise, I advocate a time where students may say the pledge of their own volition, and, that, and it's completely optional. Uh, personally, I omit under God when I say the pledge. I, I do love my country, and I you know, would like to see it do better in a lot of areas, but the God thing has got to go. Um, let's see. What, what brought this to the news lately? This actually happened over a year ago, but what brought this to the news is that uh, our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, stuck his, stuck his big nose in. And, well, sure. And... Um, Paxton is uh, currently under indictment for securities fraud. Um, our, our attorney general is intervening on the suit on behalf of the school, which basically means that he wants to argue on for the state's b- behalf. Uh, you know, he, yeah, wants, yeah. he wants to take the limelight well, here. Well, isn't our current government the former attorney general? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say we have some very successful attorney generals. Uh, Texas, and I, I say that— right. Well, I, I say that with, you know, sort of cringing because generally they are on the side of things like this. But they are very successful at arguing in front of SCOTUS. There are times when other states have very similar issues and they fail. And Texas gets an attorney general in there that argues and those, you know, those attorneys get in there and they win. So Texas attorneys... I thank thanks UT. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't want to blame UT for this, but it's like the Texas attorneys seem to have almost, you know, they're they're very good at what they do. I guess is what right. I want to say. They're very good at finding that loophole or finding that well, one our, piece of our leverage. Current governor, who was attorney general, you know, sort of said, "Hey, you know." Uh, Every day, every day I sued Obama pretty yeah. much. Well, I mean, <laughs> he, in, he, he kept the office. Ten Commandments on our courthouse steps, right? Like it, right. it's in our, our courthouse kept the Ten Commandments where other states had to pull it down. 
Yeah. Because of because of some weird technicality of how it was erected here. Yep. It was really strange, but they found that one little thing that said this is an exemption. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it, they are they're they're scary good. Right, right. Well, anyway, so Paxton wants uh he he may have a duty to uphold Texas laws, but he doesn't necessarily need to grandstand. Um, and his intervention is widely viewed as a political stunt which, uh, because he's up for re-election, and he's done this sort of thing a number of times. Yeah. He views this whole thing as a parental rights issue. And it doesn't like, surprise <laughs> me at all in Texas. That is a, that's a big Texas thing. Yeah, I mean, that, you know that children are property and homeschool yeah. them and whatever. So that's that's his angle on it. Yeah. No, so so he's going to take it into left field somehow. And as a Christian ideologue, he has no understanding of religious freedom unless it involves Christians having their freedom to do what they want. Hold on, I have a question. shove their God down the throats of students and using the government as as an instrument. Doesn't her parent want to exempt her? Absolutely, yes. uh, so so yeah so there's there's parental a, there's rights a problem unless there. you want your kid to sit down during the pledge in which case then you have no rights as a parent and we're going to force your kid to say the pledge right so wow. Pax, Paxton issued a, a statement he says requiring the pledge to be recited at the start of every school day has the laudable result of fostering respect for our flag and a patri- patriotic love of our country where is his demonstration of that metric where ha- measure yeah. by measured how. Yeah. I want to so know, is, I would want to see the, the results of where he got that information. This is him talking to his base as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, compelling some sort of patriot act is not something that's going to, you know, make people right. patriots. But if you're saying that it increases somehow respect for the flag and patriotic love of the country, that's those are things that are measurable. Right. Was there an increase in respect and was there an increase in patriotism yeah. when you yeah. did this? And are those things good? And if so, why? And, you know, it's like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, this is a bad argument. Another bad argument, he says, this case is about providing for the saying of the Pledge of Allegiance while respecting the parental right, right to direct the education of the children. The district court should uphold the education code and the right of the parents to determine whether their child will recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And... As you said, you know the, the parent actually tried to tried to intervene. The uh, the principal had dug in her heels at that point. Um, so so Paxton is going to use taxpayer money to defend an illegal law. You know, with bad arguments and yeah. uh, waste our money. And welcome to Texas. Yeah, and I mean, you could almost say that the law puts the school in a bad spot. But when you have a school that's supporting it, you can't even. Give them that that much rope, you know what I mean? To say, yeah. well, they they're in a between a rock and a hard place here. And yeah, know, I think yeah. striking the law is is pretty clearly the right thing. It gives them a little more time to to do some real teaching. Um, of course, this young black woman and her lawyer will wipe the floor with Paxton, who's clearly gone up against somebody out of his league. <laughs> I mean, I hope, I, but it's not a given. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I think it is. I think with this. You know, the fact that, that the, the principal violated the, the letter of the law and the fact that there's a Supreme Court ruling. Well, I wanted to ask about that, though. Like, are there some sort of um, requirements for the exemption letter? Is it just that a parent can ask and say, I don't want my kid to stand? Or is it, there something that's required? It just says, you know, parental note is, is really all that's required. So they just need a parental, parental yep. note that exempts the child and they still wouldn't exempt her? That's correct. Okay. Because at that point, it become it become a, a pride matter is how I read this. Because I know that the Jehovah Witnesses, they go at it from a religious freedom standpoint. 
Yes, yes. And I, and I think you could strike the law just on that alone because, you know, since that 1943 ruling, we've gotten the God stuff shoved in there after the fact. And, and I think that if that same court had looked at the God thing, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, we're, we've got a church-state violation as well as— Deistic tradition. Right, yeah. Well, oh, I don't think okay. they had, you know, had those sophisticated arguments <laughs> by then. And uh, there's a there's an irony here that I I love I love irony. Um, what could be more patriotic than getting a bad law stricken from the books? I you know I I, I think this child is very patriotic. So uh, in conclusion, I fully expect that India Landry will win. Uh, she should be allowed to graduate and go on with her life, uh, potentially making up any work in private school at, at the expense of this this school. Um, I fully expect that the Texas law will be struck down. And in my wildest dreams, I hope that all such state laws, which is most of the states, uh, will will have this also struck down too. We'll see. We'd have, probably have to have a Supreme Court uh, case for that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind seeing the principal fired because I think that she's she's really overstepped her 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 you know and has has showed has showed that she's not capable of running the show there. Um, well, I mean, it's it's just ba- basically foundationally, it's a racist issue, right? I mean, the principal is behaving in a racist way. It seems that way. She's looking at this and saying, "Well, as a white person, I don't understand why you would have a problem with the country and not want to say the pledge." And it's like, well, maybe if you were watching young people being shot and killed every day for doing, you know, carrying a cell phone, um, you and they looked like you. Yeah. You would have a little bit of a different attitude. So it's like she's upholding this based on her experience, right? And the experience of probably yeah. I, I don't know what that and, school and, and her demographic. Quote, is, I don't think that the flag is what it what it says it's for for liberty and justice. The young woman, obviously, yeah. not what's going right. on in America today. Well, that's not what happened to right. her either. And so, I mean, we're <laughs> seeing this like systemic racism play out in in the fury that is coming up against these peaceful protests of you know black black citizens and people who support them. Um, that is basically this sort of, I refuse to consider your perspective. Mm-hmm. I have my perspective and I'm treated well. And so what is your problem? Yep. And yep. why do you hate America? And it's yep. just like that you're, you're yep. literally invalidating what's happening to a demographic in this country. You're denying the injustice that's occurring right in front of your face. Um, the injustice that you are now perpetrating as somebody who supports this and continues to oppress somebody who's trying to just bring attention to a cause. That's right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, it's disgusting. Yep. Yep. And, you know, if you read the comments in, in some of these articles, <laughs> that's exactly what you hear. It's like, you know, just, yeah. just disparaging this poor kid, um, yeah. who, you know, it doesn't really matter what her reasons are. She has every right to do that. That's that's one thing, and her reasons are also valid. <laughs> and 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 they they do point to a problem. And and why don't we talk about the problem? Maybe that would be a better use of that time instead of some sort of mindless recitation. Uh, finally, I think uh, Ken Paxton will probably get reelected because his base is loves this patriotic religious bravado, even though it tramples on the rights of young people. And, uh, you know, he can take, he can go say, hey, I went up against this little kid and, you know, I won or whatever. Yeah. And and uh, and get some money for it, for his reelection. Yeah. 
All right, that's it for my sh- my little spiel today. Let's, All right. let's take some calls. Yeah, before we do that, I did have one quick thing I wanted yeah. to talk about, which was um, I went on a vacation this past week. Oh, no. And yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> uh, but I went to this, uh, I, I was. Uh, Got into this resort that is an actually pretty cool resort, but it's it's kind of a, a Wooster place, right? So it's like the crystal healing and like all the oh boy, and it ha- but it has some really cool stuff, and then it's got like you know loads and loads of woo, and and mainly people go there when they're attending conferences and things that are being put on or talks, and that's how mm-hmm. you usually is get this in. Sedona. Uh, no, this is this was <laughs> okay. over in Big Sur, but okay, um, but the th- the thing was uh, pulled a. They had like a catalog of their talks and speakers and things like that. It was a pretty thick catalog. And so they gave us a copy. When we left, we asked for a copy. And I was looking through it. And I found an interesting article that uh, highlighted a, a young woman who's going to be doing some talks with them or may already be doing them. And they referenced the unaffiliated. And I thought, well, that rings a bell, right? I mean, the nuns. Could they mean us? No, I went and I looked. Right, I go and I look and I read the article, and sure enough, they're referencing the nuns, right? what we call the nuns, the people okay. who have no affiliation toward religion, who are like kind of stepping back and stepping out of that. And obviously, there's the whole issue of some people sometimes quote the nuns as a, or the unaff- people who are unaffiliated with organized religion as being, in, you know, atheist numbers. But we know that that's not really true. Right. That there are people who are spiritual but not religious. And they are really, you know, throwing out the lines there for this particular group and talking about how to engage them. And then they're, they're talking – what was really interesting to me was the way that uh, religious language was now being layered onto non-religious activities. So they were calling things um, – and, and this has been going on for a little while. Like spirituality has been sort of reaching further and further into anything you do that's larger than yourself, anything you do that's, you know, a transcendent. So it's like a wolf pack doing a – hunting down an elk – and brutally killing it would be a spiritual activity, I guess, for the wolves because it's they're working as a group. It's larger than the individual wolf, and it's a transcendent activity. It's happened, you know, before they were even born. This has been established. And so it was interesting to me to see the way that they were reaching out for that unaffiliated community. And I thought, isn't this interesting? So we've got these people that are coming out of religious organizations and of course, the religious organizations are sort of like, oh, how do we maintain them? Right? How right. do we keep them? We need to get them back. <laughs> yeah, they're in a panic. And keep them from losing, getting more. They're losing money. <laughs> and then you have, um, and then I always looked at it as sort of like, and then there's us, right? And we're kind of on the other end of that, saying right. just but we all, don't have a lot of bait. All than, we hey, want, we're trying to make we just, sense of the we world. just want you to get control of your own life, right? Yep. We don't want somebody <laughs> telling you what to do. You, we just want you to be able to um, drive your own life and drive your own destiny and to um, live live your life and fulfill mm-hmm. your goals and dreams and and not be told uh, what to do till you die. And then there's this, now there, I'm seeing more clearly that there's, I always knew that, that there was a lot of people that were spiritual, not religious, that went into sort of the woo, you know, stuff. Yeah. But now it seems there's like an organized drive. Right there, there's like a there's an awareness in that uh, community. The Woosters are going after these. Five right, five. so now we have like a three way <laughs> pie. Right, it's like a pie is so divided. Come knocking on our doors, and, um, and they are very much like they want to start calling things like um, writing, you know, groups that are creative writing groups and things like that. They want to start calling them ministries, and they want to. So, so they're start they're they're trying to expand. And I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking, 
the whole goal was to escape the organized religion, to get away from the organized religion. Right, and now what you're right. doing is you're like using the same, you're, you're yeah, I think taking the same vocabulary. It. I don't know if they are or not. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're not because I haven't seen whether or not they're successful in their outreach at this point. They might be. I mean, so, it, you know, I could be misreading it. But, um, well, one of the interesting things about religion is it's really sort of a battle of ideas, right? And, and some yeah. of these ideas are old and they get sort of, traction that way because mm-hmm. they, they indoctrinate young the young and all that. And some of this is, you know, modern spins on this or that. And, right. you know, we have, what, 30,000 different denominations of Christianity in the United States alone. And, and they're all, you know, going after the, you know, it's like. It is interesting, though, to see the different the, the, a group a that's trying niche. to sort of hijack the secular world and yeah. make every single thing a religious thing. Yeah. in some way or a spiritual right. thing in some way. Yeah, don't need it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and kind of deny that you can even ever be outside of that. And it's like, wow. I, I just thought that was an interesting thing. You just wanted a thing. nice nice weekend in a, in a spa or something. And I did. I did get a good I, – I, I got a good week and <laughs> okay. that was an interesting yeah. visit. And I, I enjoyed it. Let me just say I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the yep. spa and I enjoyed the whole place. Um, and that was kind of an interesting sort of, whoa, what is this? Yeah, it does seem that the, the, the Woosters are, are big on the pampering side yeah. of things. Right? I also had a book that I brought, you know, like the book you bring to read. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like a section that I got to that was talking about James Randi and his support for like the a young woman named Emily who uh, at the age of 11 or 12 was like the youngest person to ever publish in JAMA. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And he helped her a little bit with her experiment design. Oh, <laughs> that was and so I was like, wow, this just comes up everywhere. <laughs> this is just a book on measurements. Uh, so that's kind yeah, of cool. That's, that's pretty cool. All right, that's my stuff. And so now let's go ahead and get to calls. And so right now we're going to Sean in LA, and you, uh, we've got you down as someone who is blind, and you want to know how you should respond to comments that God is going to heal you. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And uh, I want to say, while that wasn't a failure of religion, that was def- definitely a failure. So <laughs> I, I feel for that girl. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, just really quick. I was diagnosed when I was 13 with an eye condition, and I was told I was going to go blind eventually completely. I hit legal blindness 14 years ago, and it's just been getting worse ever since. And, uh, yeah, because uh, I feel that the blind... Uh, kind of have this they're almost like a symbol in uh the biblical text you know healing the blind man so people Mm. feel that they can just approach me and say hey i want to pray for you is it okay if i pray for you jesus is going to heal you and just you know just kind of assaulting me with with their religion and i know it's coming from a good place but and i've got no problem being confrontational but i also don't want to be rude okay um and i'm not really sure how to respond to that oh actually while i was on hold uh, it occurred to me that I've never actually taken the time to, it never occurred to me to just say, you know, Jesus, come into my heart and try to heal me. <laughs> so I did, and uh, nothing. Just, just, just wow. putting that out there. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, what what is, your inter- what is your internal state when someone comes to you and says a thing like that? Like, you're asking how do I respond to it, but a lot of that has to do with how does that make you feel? Uh. I feel like they're talking past me and they're, you know, but I know they're it's coming from a good place, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Sure. You know, they're, you know, I, I so I, I, yeah, I feel like they're talking past me in terms of, you know, 
we assume that you automatically believe in God and you should know that I believe in God too. And uh, God is going to heal you because uh, we both believe this, or at least I believe this kind of thing. And it sounds to me like I don't agree. It sounds to me like they're using you like a prop. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. I think that's what he means by talking past me. Like they're not really seeing him. They're seeing a blind guy. Yeah. Right, and the obvious disconnect is like, okay, well, here's here's something wrong in the world, yet I believe in this perfect God who supposedly controls things. Do these, I mean, do these comments come from, like, people you, they they obviously don't know you're atheist. I don't know how out you are, or, I mean, are these, like, passing comments? Or these? I, I mean, I, 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 try to, I try to be pretty out, and uh, ever since uh, hearing your uh, show, by the way, thank you guys, because it's provided a lot of great resources for me, so I love oh, what you guys do. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, I try to be, uh, pretty, pretty honest and, you know, I don't want to attack other people's beliefs, but I, I'm very comfortable saying I don't believe that, but I wonder when I'm crossing that line and now I'm being rude. How, how well the people who make these comments, how well do they know? I mean, it's, it's not, are people just strangers, people on the street are doing this to you. Yeah, uh, I was at a train station and a guy walked by and oh my God. Said, yeah, both of us said, you know, uh, Jesus is going to heal you. And I said, no, no, he doesn't. No, he won't. But thank you very much. And he's like, yes, he will. I'm like, well, I don't believe he exists, but thank you. <laughs> and I kind of walked away. Wow. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. And I don't know that if that situation. was rude of me, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I don't think that's rude at all. I, I think that that person was being rude. Um, I think it'd be perfectly appropriate to ignore them. Yeah, you could ignore it if you want to, and that would just avoid it altogether if that's just preferable to you. And I think there's probably going to be times when you'll want to do different things, right? Like sometimes you're going to just be like, mm-hmm. I don't have time for this crap and walk on. Um, another thing might be, you, you know, you can't really engage them in any kind of deep conversation, but um, I mean. Sometimes I can, and I, I'd be happy to when those come up. Like if I'm in a lift ride. Yeah. If you want to, it might be useful to just tell them what you just told me. Say, you know, I appreciate that what you're saying is coming from a place of positivity and that you want it to be comforting to me. But the fact is, when I hear it, it makes me feel objectified and it makes me feel like you're not seeing me and that you are. Um, how did you describe it? That you're you're looking past me or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're talking past me. They're not yeah. talking to me. Yeah, and you could just they're let them know and, and maybe use it as a teaching moment instead of confronting them about their religion to say, here's how I feel as a blind person when a stranger approaches me and tells me something like this. This is what you make me feel like. It doesn't have the effect that you want. Um, the effect it actually has on me is a negative one, and this is why, if you're interested in knowing and, and maybe tailoring your behavior to be less you know, less offensive to future in the you know people in the future. Okay. I mean, yeah, do, what I, do you I, think? I, no, I I agree. Like I said, I just I I don't want to cross that line into being rude. I can't do anything about their etiquette, but I can do something about mine. And you know, I don't want to come across as that belligerent atheist, but I also want to be honest. Yeah, but I think it's fair to just be like, hey, when you say that, you make me um, feel less human. Like you're not really seeing yeah. me and you, you know, I mean, I know that you're not trying to yeah, do that. probably too subtle for a lot of folks. But maybe, um, but maybe you could think about what you're saying to people and understand that it doesn't have necessarily the impact that you 
that you want it to have. It makes me feel somehow minimized as a person with with blindness. And and if yeah. they want to talk about it, they could talk about it. And again, you know, like I understand there's going to be times when that when a conversation isn't a thing to have. But if I was going to engage a person, I think I would probably just be direct and say, "Do you realize that what you're saying, even though you mean it to be positive, actually has this impact on me?" That's fair. Okay. Make, make no, them aware. It, 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 <laughs> it's not your yeah, job to teach it, it, people, but if you if you don't want to be, I mean, you say you're not afraid of confrontation, but obviously you don't want to go around, you know, like just getting pissed at everybody, um, and that's not you know a good thing for you to walk around constantly, you know, having that experience like with I'm strangers having, being attacked and <laughs> yeah. yeah. So maybe just give them an opportunity to be more aware, and they can either be assholes about it or they can be, you know, human beings and say, oh, you know, it's good for me to learn that thing. But it's up to them at that point. You haven't been rude to them. You've just told them this is the experience I have when you say these things, and then they can make what they want of that. They can either care or not care. And if they don't care, then it basically shows that whatever they said originally wasn't didn't come from a place of honest concern to begin with. Right. I mean, it just came from them yeah. feeling better that they could promote their religion somewhere. The person who really thought yeah. they wanted to be helpful and really cares about you would hear it and take that as um, a learning moment. Yeah, it's just strange because it comes out of nowhere. You know, if it's a stranger <laughs> that just walks up to you, it's like you. I can't you're, imagine. You're, you're, pardon the pun, but you're blindsided. The only yeah, thing yeah, that I can I think it. of that, you know, comes like close to that is when I have friends who, for example, would get pregnant, right? And they'd be pregnant. And sometimes people will come up and say things to women who are pregnant that they don't know. And it's very bold stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't even really know a person is pregnant. Yeah. So you're making all kinds of assumptions that could be completely insulting to a person and just saying stuff to the stranger or coming up and touching them. Oh my gosh! I mean, <laughs> oh, as a blind person, that happens a lot. They put hands I on do. you. Oh yeah, they, they're like, oh, you're standing by a street corner. You must need to cross the street. Oh Let me no! Grab your arm and drag you across the street. Instead oh, no. of instead of no, oh, just for the record, people, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand that desire to be a helpful yeah, for person. The record, ask. <laughs> yeah, just ask. That's all it really takes. Yeah. And and I, you know, I learned that, and that's something I yeah. do. You and need it, some help? Yeah. No, thank you. Okay, right. Great. Yeah. And I remember in one case in particular, somebody said they didn't need help, that they they struggle, but they've got it. And then they ended up dropping the thing, and it was, like, looking really bad. And I was like, are you sure you don't need help? And she was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like if you could. So, I mean, it yeah. was like I did a kind of monitored a little bit. I wasn't, like, staring at her. But when I saw the thing drop, I was like, okay, this is going to be really tough for her because she was having a lot of really, really struggling. And um, But, I mean, it's totally fine to just say to somebody, you know, do you, especially with doors, somebody that's, that's – uh, struggling with a door I'll always say you know do you need help with that and they'll t- they'll tell you yes or no yeah let them tell you yeah absolutely well, yes. well Sean you, yeah. you sound like a very conscientious guy it seems like uh, if you spend any any time interacting with folks you're it's a teaching moment and um, I, I think you have the right attitude um you you know you might I just say, say something like the, you know thank no thank you or or you know some Something that you would sell – somebody selling uh, Girl Scout cookies or whatever, <laughs> gave it the office or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, no, and for, for most things, it's fine. It's when they're saying, Jesus is going to heal you. That's not really a no thank you kind of – Right. So that's why I was, yeah. I was just double-checking. But no, I, I, I think I feel better about um, you know just 
just putting it out there. Like I, like I said, I just trying to avoid being outright rude when yeah, yeah. somebody's trying to be nice. Or just, you know, hey, can I be honest with you? And if they say, sure, I mean, and who's going to say no to you, right? It's like, who's no, going to say no to the blind guy, right? It's like, so, so you're like, can I be honest with you? And if they say, yeah, then just, you know, make a, make a soft-spoken appeal. And I think that may actually, you might actually have the, you know, the, the experience of making a couple people more aware. Not everybody. I'm sure there's going to be people that are like, you know, jerks, but... Anyway, that's my that's my thought would be to just be honest. Uh, I I agree. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, Thank I, you, Sean. I don't know if they mentioned it on the thing because I had a second thing, but I could always either call back or well, quickly. What was, is it? Let's see if we have time. Uh, well, I'm in a uh, blind filmmakers uh, group, and we have been releasing. Uh, we're going to start releasing films on YouTube pretty soon. I'll, I'll email you guys a link when it comes up, but. Um, it's been inspiring me to write uh, a feature-length film. And basically, one of the characters is a minister who loses his wife. And that's because I have a friend who really wants to play a minister. But by the end of it, it's very religious. Like, it, even though it's not intentional, it comes off positive for the religious person. And I'm wondering if that's dangerous to put real world religions in that positive light in fiction if, if in terms of promoting uh religion religious ideas so he stays within his religious framework and and, and things work out well for him and, yeah i wanted to be true to him but the okay. other characters aren't religious but it still seems to come across as this is a religious story when i gave it to a creative writing i don't, teacher, I don't think it's your job to like oh, too religious for me you know, I, 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 th- I think it's your job to, to you know, do, do your do your screenplay or whatever uh, how you want, and yeah. don't don't make apologies. Have you seen the f- film or Grand Canyon? Mm, no, I don't. No, I haven't. You might check it out. Um, it's an interesting film in that it handles the it it, it ha- has that same kind of theme to it of people interpreting their reality. Right. So you have all mm-hmm. these different people that are coming at their lives that are crisscrossing um, from different perspectives. You know, some of them believe in foreordained destiny and some of them don't believe in anything. And some of them are just confused people that are kind of searching for something. And some of them have like, you know, traumatic events that change their uh, worldviews really in a big, huge way. And they all sort of put their own perspective on everything that happens to them while all these weird things are happening to them in their lives, right? So they all have these sort of real powerful events that occur and it shows kind of how they all respond differently to it. And I think that's what you're describing is the idea that in a in a yeah. real world setting, sometimes the religious person maintains their religion and they go on with life and the event resolves in a positive way. That's just a fact. And you're just portraying yeah. that fact and you're going to have other characters that might view it in a different way. Um, but you're telling this person's story. Well, he's one of the main characters. Just sure. it, it seems to come across that he's uh, that his religion was true the entire time, and that once faith comes in, things are all better. And I'm like, I don't want that to be the message, but that's how this character <laughs> would react. Yeah. Well, I think that there are people for whom that is their reality, and I, I think that just simply yeah. saying that this is, it, yeah, I, I agree with Don. It's not necessarily yeah. your job to to create messages as much as tell a story. 
it kind of depends. I mean, if you were making yeah. a moral, uh, like a morality play or something, or trying to make some point via these characters, but if you're simply saying, I want to tell the story of this character and this is how this character would respond, I think that's just simply a character. Yeah, my perspective, it's it's a story, and it's about a character who believes in this other fictional story. Right. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know. All right. Is that helpful? But a lot of people believe that. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I was right. just wondering if you thought it was dangerous. And if it, it is, then like we're up to is. our necks in danger because we are, <laughs> like, full of stories <laughs> about positive. You know, there's, I touched by an angel, <laughs> and, yeah, so... We're all right, all. Sean. Well, good luck to you, man. All right. All right. Good call. Thank well, thank you, Sean. <laughs> and now we're going to move on to uh, this is going to be Corey, who's calling from here in the U.S. And you want to know why we don't have the conviction to take a stand on whether a God exists? Yeah. Does that sound about right? Did you want to expound on that at all or like um, your thoughts well, no, or do uh, first you just want to answer? No, first I just want to tell you that I agree with everything you said about the, the girl that didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, and I support people's right. And that last caller, he, he sounded like a really nice guy, and there is etiquette you use on the street. You don't just run up to pregnant women like, hey, can I lay my hands and, you know, right. on you and stuff? Oh, at least you would ask, right? I mean, you're saying you're saying oh. it seems weird to even ask, but there are women who are pregnant who are like, people come up to me and just grab my stomach or my, you know, oh, near yeah, my yeah. pelvis. It's like completely bizarre. <laughs> um, but I support that girl's right to not stand in Colin yeah. Kaepernick. There's a big controversy. I support him, but I also support people's right to believe in God in our country. Well, sure. I don't think that we're against people's right to believe in a God. But, but why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't I be against your right to believe a thing? Well, first of all, it wouldn't matter if I was against it because I can't control what people believe. So it would be a useless thing to be against. But you think I'm dishonest for holding a religious conviction? Whoa, no, I don't think you're dishonest. Why would you say well, that? Why won't you think I'm dishonest if I can't prove that my God exists? Because if you believe it, it doesn't. You don't have to believe things for good reasons. Yeah, but I'm I'm forcing my agenda like on the country. Like I want abortion. Right, but here, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> you're asking why I don't think you're dishonest. Yeah. If you believe it, then you're yeah. not being dishonest. You don't have to be right, right? If a person believes what they're saying, they're not being dishonest, even if they're wrong. Would you agree at least with that? Wait, say that again? If a person believes a thing, even if they're wrong, that's not dishonest. Correct? All right. Okay, so if you believe right. it, I'm not going to call you dishonest for what you actually believe. or for. And if you believe that it's your job to promote it, you're not being dishonest. You're doing what you, right. you believe is true. Correct? All right. Yeah. True. Okay. So we're good? So we, so we might disagree on certain <laughs> things, and but maybe we can agree on some of those things. Yeah, I mean, but if I go ahead, sure, go ahead. Um, but if I mean, if I can't prove, like you say, that I have a burden of proof from that if I believe in God, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, if I can't prove that God exists, does that mean He doesn't? No. Okay, but it, it does. <laughs> it does raise the question of of why would you believe a thing that you don't have evidence for? Yeah, I mean that's what we generally ask well, is what do you believe in? Why do you believe it? And and do well, you I care if it's have any ep- Well, no. Yeah, I understand that. I'm saying what we usually ask is what do you believe? Why do you believe it? And do you care whether it's true or not? Yeah, I mean, what I believe is I be- I'm a Bible believing Christian. That's what I believe. And why I believe it is because I choose to. Mm, if could you choose if you were standing on a tall building to believe that you could jump off and not die? 
Well, is it possible to defy the law of gravity? Not that I'm aware of. Well, I mean, I mean, I could throw up, I could throw a pencil off the Vampire State Building, and if I tied a helium balloon to it, it wouldn't necessarily go down. But it's not defying gravity. There's like actual physical laws that explain how that sure. works within gravity too. But what I'm pointing out is. I don't think it's sort of a choice for me whether I would believe I'm going to die or not if I jumped off a skyscraper. I don't think it's a choice. I don't. I don't. I. I, I reject the, the idea that beliefs are choices. I think that you you are either convinced oh, of something, put, or you're no, not. No, no. Let's put let's put that to the test then. Mm-hmm. I just did, right? I said no, if I was no, no. going to no, I, I did put that to the test. Well, let me put it to the test. Let me put it to you in a different way. Do you believe that God exists? No. No. Okay. Well, okay. Do you care if that's true? It de- I guess it depends so on, on what is, the my belief I'm, is my lack of belief is true, okay? <laughs> well, that's all I'm I'm, I'm yeah. conveying my mental state accurately. I I don't I wouldn't know if it mattered whether it was true or not until I understood I guess the claims being made. So we you know we've been doing this show 20 some odd years and we're always asking for evidence for <clears throat> for God and uh, I have yet to hear anything very compelling. Um but yes, I mean if you, if, may, you may be the guy. If yes, I'm wrong guy. about a thing, I would want to be corrected if that's what you're yeah, asking. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But you're not claiming that there is no evidence. You're saying there's a lack of evidence, and that's a that's a big difference. It depends. I'll just let me just say there's a few ways that people look at this, and it depends on kind of how you look at it. Some people say that evidence that is uncompelling or irrelevant isn't really evidence at all, and other people okay. say it's poor evidence. So okay. if it depends on how you look at it, there's some people who would say it is evidence, but it's not very compelling evidence. And there's, other people would say non-compelling evidence. Is, but we don't go out of our way trying to promote unicorns, right? Or people yeah, don't do that. If, well, no, hold on. If you're appealing to a claim that unicorns exist, I'd say you, you lack credibility. Well, no, no. I think what Don is saying is that if you don't believe a unicorn exists, like, it's like kind of asking me if, if unicorns really did exist – and my lack of belief was incorrect. Would I yeah, want to know? And the and the answer would be, you know, like, yeah, I guess I would. I mean, if somebody wanted to show me a, you know, the the traditional unicorn that really is there, you know, not just like a goat with a with a single horn. I've seen those before. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested, I mean, but I don't know that it would change, you know, or rock my world. Right, but that's like saying like leprechauns too, right? Sure. Yeah, it's exactly like that. And like for us, so, that would be the same as saying God. Well, yeah, but that's a category error, I think, and here's why. Because if Matt Dillahunty were challenged, hey, will you do a debate on the existence of leprechauns, mm-hmm. he would laugh at that. He wouldn't take that on, but he'd do it on God, but you're, you're lumping him no, in. No, no, no. No, I'm lumping it in this. No, you got to understand, it's categorized for us because we see them as equally likely to exist based on current. Went, wait, 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 wait. Okay, based okay. on current evidence, we see them as being in the same category as far as, as our assessment of their oh. likelihood of existing. Now, what you're okay. talking about, wait. What you're talking about is whether Matt would make a decision to debate this, and that has more to do with the impact on the society. So if you're asking us, does do, do religious claims or do claims of God impact society in a much greater way than unicorns or leprechauns, I would say correct. It does have a bigger impact on society. But if you're asking, do I see any reason to believe it from a category, like can I ca- if I was going to categorize it with leprechauns, fairies, unicorns, to me, it's it's very similar. It's just the difference is that more people believe this thing, but I don't see any greater reason to believe it. Okay. 
I did. Okay, that's fair. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate I when you so. when you listen and we converse. And I think that's yeah. good. I think there's progress being made in this conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have a nice night. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, thank you for your call, Corey. We really appreciate it. All right. God okay. bless you. <laughs> well, I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> All right. Bye. That is, of course, assuming that sentiment wasn't a big fuck you. <laughs> and God Not bless you. Not necessarily a... Merry a, Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to say we will give Corey the benefit of the yeah. doubt, much like uh, that Sean. Was a, that was generally a pleasant call. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> okay. And so we will move now to... This is Mariana in Missouri, who wants to discuss objective morality. Hi, Mariana. You're on with Tracy and Don. Hi, Tracy and Don. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Doing well. So you're talking about objective morality today, right? Uh, Yeah, if we can. Sure we can. Uh, Yeah, so I just wanted to know, uh, well, I assume you guys uh, believe in or advocate for subjective morality. Is that true? For me, it depends on how you're defining it, right? Because I believe that we have moral tendencies that are not subjective, right? So in other words, if morality were 100% subjective, it would be nothing because there would be no metric. There'd be no way to measure it, right? But we have, for example, um, animal behavioral psychologists who measure for moral tendencies in other species, kind of saying, well, what other species exhibit any kinds of moral behaviors like the capacity to deceive or the capacity to express guilt or the capacity to empathize? And so we have these metrics that as a social species we're capable of that I believe are objective, right? We don't, we're born, they're in, inborn. We didn't choose them. We didn't say, I'm going to go out and foster and develop empathy as an individual. It's part of our species, just like other social species exhibit in many ways. So that aspect of morality, I think, is objective, and that's what makes it measurable. But then you have um, the other aspect, which is, okay, so you have this sense of fairness about you that we see in a few other species. And so, but what does that mean when you ask an individual, is this particular interaction fair? Now you're going to get different answers, right? So now it starts to become a little more subjective because individuals start to put their experience to it and they start to say, well, in this case, I kind of see it from this angle and from that. If I, but if I look at it this other way, I kind of see the other person's point or maybe I think the other person is just being completely unreasonable. Um, but a lot of that is going to start coming down to individual experiences and, and how we assess particular interactions or you know particular situations. So when you get to, into a situational framework. Now you've got more subjective inputs coming into it, but I do think that there is an objective foundation for morality. Does that make sense? Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, that was that was a lot. I like that. Oh, well cool. <laughs> Thank you. Another way to approach this is you can say that uh you know, we're we're striving for well-being and we want to make sure that um, to increase the well-being of, of humans or of, of, uh, and those things that increase well-being are, are morally good and things that yeah. 
hinder well-being or morally bad. <laughs> but even and, then, you're going to have these subjective things where it's like there's some harm that's coming with this, but there's sure, some good that can. So, sure. Because we are, you know, so for example, we would tend to look at cutting off someone's arm as like an immoral thing to do. But if you're cutting off their arm because there's a flesh-eating bacteria that you're trying to stop to save their life, like um, <laughs> then somebody might say, well, yeah, okay, so you are, you're clearly harming the person. Cutting off someone's arm is not not harming them that is harm to a person right that even if at the end of the day you say it's because we're gonna we're gonna assign the blame to the disease right. um, and not the doctor for slicing off someone's arm um, you're still do it is still harm to the person they come out of it with one less arm and they're gonna have to deal with that um, but at the same time their life is saved and I think people generally would understand okay so you did this for some greater you know thing because we aren't we aren't you know, godlike, and we can't just wave a wand and make the flesh eating bacteria go away. We have to make a decision to harm them in a smaller way than a larger way. And so, even when you're using well being, you're going to have these sort of weighted sort of things where one person or, or a person might say, I'd rather die than lose my arm. Sure. Right. And so, you've got a person who's like, well, to them, they don't want to lose their arm. It means that much to them. And there's going to be these subjective, um, values and weights to even even those things, kind of no matter what you use, right? And I mean, even when you look at religion, right, even people within the same church are going to have disputes about what what is intended as correct or not correct um, based on their uh, biblical interpretations. Because I see they have you listed as theistic, and so I'm just kind of throwing out there that even within a religious community, you're going to have disputes about um, what would be a fair interaction, even with the guidance of your Bible or whatever. Right. Like, I mean, I would advocate, you know, that's objective. There's a difference between objective and uh, absolute, obviously. Yeah, I agree. But uh, going back to like what Don was saying, uh, and and I've heard the argument made many times uh, for, uh, you know, good versus not good or bad, whatever. But, uh, like, why, why is it that uh, morality has to gear towards that what is good? Well, you know, morality is, is uh, I would say, a concept that is unique to humans or, or human morality is unique to humans. And it's about how humans are going to get along and, and work together to sort of get, get the, the most of us to the, to the next generation or whatever. Um, and, you know, if you want to assert that there's some God that knows better than us, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, evidence that you would need to provide that, that, that somehow they know better, uh, than us. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you compare secular morality to religious morality, you know, we've, we've figured out that slavery is wrong and, 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 you know, the Bible is still advocates for it and the God still advocates for it because it, the God hasn't come down and made a correction. And I, I would just add that when I think in terms, like good and bad to me are kind of ambiguous terms. And so let's look at something that we tend to have a little bit more of a, a fine point on, something like justice, right? The concept of justice. Okay. Okay. And whether or not a particular society is treating people justly. Depending on where you live... You're going to have different attitudes about that. But there are times when lots of people that live within that very society say our society is not just and we don't like it and we feel oppressed, right? People that are within that society may disagree with the justice that is being 
put down um, by an authoritarian source. And so what happens is people and also uh, dogs and chimpanzees have this concept of when they're not being treated fairly, when they're being treated in a way that is less beneficial to them than another individual. And, and how this has generally been tested is in tre- treats, giving them treats for assigned tasks and whether or not they care if they get a treat or don't get a treat when someone else gets a treat. And there is evidence that shows that there's a negative response to them observing that someone else gets a reward and they don't get a reward. So that would be the sort of internal sense of justice, right? And different animals have different capacities for it and even different sense of what is just. So dogs, for example, seem to behave similarly if they're rewarded regardless of the type of reward, whereas chimpanzees tend to start acting um, negatively when they don't get a reward that's as good. So they're actually looking at evaluation of the type of reward. And that's more in line with kind of how humans view it, right? We don't just see a reward like, oh, he got paid and I got paid and we're happy. If you find out your coworker who has the same title as you is making $25,000 a year more, you're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, you know, that's not cool. Uh, and so you you have this sort of sense of justice about yourself. So then the question comes out, um, how do we gauge justice somewhere else, right? So we're watching a situation and we're saying, is this just, is this not just? And we're looking at a society where maybe a lot of people would agree that this does not comport with justice, that what's happening here is really bad. People are being sent to camps and genocidally killed and people are being, uh, you know, reporters are being murdered and, and some people are just being disappeared because they disagree with, you know, political opinions. And, th- and so we see this thing and it's like, what a terror of a society this is. And, and all of us are like, this is really not okay. This is really unjust. Uh, what that's, what it demonstrates is, People don't have to comport with justice. There's no compulsion, right? Like a society can get away with injustice for as long as it can get away with injustice. And unless somebody stops it, it's going to continue in the way that it continues. What you're kind of asking when you say, why does it have to be good, would be why does it have to be just, right? So why, what is the impetus that would make us want to ensure justice um, for someone else? Right. I mean, isn't that kind of what you're asking? Going back to your justice part, mm-hmm. if a society, uh, regardless, well, I guess it's kind of hard because, you know, our society, we're a democratic republic and we vote. But if we lived in a society that didn't have a vote, mm-hmm. and something was happening. How, how can we how can we ultimately say that what uh, society X is doing over here on the right is? Mm-hmm wrong because our society here doesn't right. do that. Like, I mean, there has to be... Right. No, I know. Kind of I agree. The, metri- the, ne- the metric should never be, this is not how we do it, therefore it's wrong. Right? The, the metric of what is just isn't whatever I do. Justice has about it a sense of fairness in whether people are being treated with e- equity. Right? Are we being treated equally or is there inequality? And I, and you can measure inequality, right? Because there's metrics by which you can tell if somebody is in poverty, is somebody starving, is somebody being brutalized, is somebody, these are things that we can actually quantify and observe. And so the question becomes, you know, do we want to be 
in a world where people are brutalized, people are abused, people, uh, and, and where the rest of us just sit back and say, this is a fine thing. This is where, to me, that objective part of the morality that I was talking about earlier kicks in. Now, what we have generally as people is an innate sense of we get upset when we see an injustice, right? Most people, when they see something that they consider to be unjust, they, they have a negative reaction, just like the chimp and just like the dog. We, we are going to have that. Now, the question becomes, do I want to suppress that and say, I don't care that I'm watching this injustice and that this is disturbing to me? Um, or should I be disturbed by something I'm not? Like you're saying, if you're enculturated to something, like let's say that I live in a society where women are treated like in a horribly objectified way and where they're raped or beaten if they get out of line. When I look, if I grew up in that society, I might think that's perfectly fine, right? This is perfectly okay. And that's where it comes down to it's not just how I was raised, right? You have to look even at that and say, okay, so this is, I've been taught this is fine and it doesn't bother me to see it, but should this bother me to see it? Should this be one of those things that I look at and I say, that is an injustice? Would I want to be objectified, beaten, raped? Would that be okay if it was me in that position in society instead of this other person? And this is where the equity comes in, which is one of those other um, aspects of moral tendencies that we measure. Do we have a sense of equity? Right? Do I have a sense that this thing is like me? And as human beings, we actually do, right? We have the capacity, even as children, to recognize human faces above other species faces. Like we have a better, um, a better capacity to recognize other humans. So we do see right. people in a unique way where we recognize you are one of those things like me. And so we have a sense of equity. So the question is, do we want to just su suppress the morality or not? And I think that when you kind of look at the large picture of the world, it sort of becomes obvious that the better we make it for people, the more equity and the more justice and the more that, that things just seem to get better for everybody. The less we let, let some groups get abused, the better it kind of is for us all. And and I think we feel better about it because we are innately geared toward these things. I mean, does that make sense to you? Yeah. Uh, so with your last points on what you were talking about, like should we solely base them on our own feelings or should we have a set feeling or is there something outside of both of that that we should appeal to for yeah, I think that it, we do have we do have an innate reaction to injustice, but the problem is that when you're raised in a situation where you're taught that this is just or this is okay to do to somebody else, you tend to not really all those empathetic things that you would normally feel toward that person can sort of be headed off in a way where you don't really care. Like that's why you had this huge genocidal issue in Germany in World War II, right? That's why you could kill all these people and brutalize all these people because to some degree there were some people who simply were just like, oh, they're different than me. They're not the same. That they didn't have that they weren't they weren't using their sense of equity and their sense of empathy and that That's recognition the first thing that goes in a war right. is you vilify your As soon as you start to objectify people yeah. and dehumanize them, that to me is the first step toward atrocity. It, to me, that when I see an objectification or a dehumanization of some group, when I look at that, I think you have just crossed the line into um, into horrible. 
Right. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. And I and I think too it kinda gets uh it gets both deep and confusing because I mean you can make the argument, I'm not that I am making the argument, but one can make the argument that, you know, for using the Nazis for uh, the death camps and the Jews that they were appealing to emotion to okay their behavior. Yeah, they were getting people angry, but they weren't appealing to the moral tendencies, right? Anger is not a moral tendency. You might react angrily to seeing an injustice, but anger is not a moral tendency. The moral tendencies are those things that promote social cohesion and promote unity and bonding between individuals within a species. And so not all emotion is necessarily morally related, right? It, it, there are moral tendencies, and they will evoke certain feelings and reactions in people. But the feelings themselves um, that are secondary to those things that are innate to us, like empathy, equity, fairness, uh, guilt, obligation, the, the moral tendencies are those aspects of the, of the person that we experience that, that promote bonding, not that promote savagery. That would not be a moral ten- defined as a moral tendency. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but I still think there's, and again, I'm not making the argument, but I think someone along the line could make the argument for, you know, justifying that that behavior. I guess. Well, sure, and they have. I mean, we've seen it. You're not you're not simply being hypothetical. I mean, we watched it happen. Um, and they did try to say that this was a moral thing to do. And I guess what I'm saying is that when we actually look at moral tendencies, right, and we look at this from a more evaluative standpoint, what we see is that it actually didn't comport with moral behavior toward other people, right? I mean, it was demonstrable that you weren't, you can't be empathetic and you can't, I mean, and I'm not even saying that there are, I think what they did was more of an argument that we should be able to justifiably withhold moral behavior from this group. They weren't saying it necessarily. I mean, they might have labeled it in essence, you know, that this was a good thing to do or the right thing to do. But what they were actually doing was saying, we think we have grounds to withhold moral behavior from a particular demographic. We don't have to be moral toward this group. We can abuse them. We can do all these things to them and treat them like non-humans um, because we don't have to look at them as human. And so what they first thing they did was, was sort of pull back all the morality um, from this particular demographic, and then they were able to do whatever they wanted to do to them. Right. But, but there still is something that's even though that's what they're saying that's what they're advocating for there's still something outside of them that is the actual authority even if they don't recognize it or not right i think what you're saying is this is your view because that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that ultimately they have some innate features that they can disregard or they can go with and they have to make those choices. But when they make those choices they have to deal with other people like don and myself who are going to make the choice to try and stop them because we're not going to look at that and say, oh, yeah, this is fine that you're just like, you know, gassing people to death by the millions. We're not going to look at it that way. And so they are going right. to have to deal with the reality of other human beings who have a, who are saying that you have to continue to um, apply morality to these people, that you can't just simply treat them in such an immoral way. Right. And I mean, I think you would get, you know, Christians and other religious people to jump on that train with you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think in the past Hopefully that's the majority been the of case. People, right? Yeah, I, I think I think generally, and see, that's the thing with me is it's like I think generally people are going to go with their morality. I think it's very few. There are very few Christians who are going to do something they believe is wrong because the Bible tells them so. They are sadly the most active politically powerful Christians um, because other Christians tend to just sort of be a more liberal live and let live variety who are just trying to be good people and work in the soup kitchen and have the family to go to church and, and do the picnic afterwards. Right, and they, and, they rationalize yeah. the, the, the this, disconnect. That right. to me is like the average Christian. The average person going to church is not the person who's trying to shove their religion down someone else's throat. I think most people right. who are Christians are just living their lives and probably don't, you know, don't think twice except to go to church on Sunday and bring the kids for Bible school and cookies and whatever. Right, like we're whatever. Uh, regardless, if you're an atheist or a Christian or uh, active in politics or not, I think you know we're all trying to exert some kind of moral uh, standard. Right, and I think it's important to note that when we talk about like these these weird Christians that are all like you know the anti-gay, anti-trans, like really really hostile toward many different demographics, like anti-women's rights, like when you have the, that group of Christians, for example, what they've done is they've adopted an authoritarian sort of culture, right? Basically, there's this list of rules, and I must follow them regardless of how I feel about it or what I think is right. I just have to do what I'm told here, and that's kind of what a lot of people said during Nuremberg. Right, I was just doing what I was told, and right. so you have this idea of this authoritarian sort of dictate and mandate for here is, are the rules, and once you start telling people to do that, what you're actually doing is saying, don't use your moral judgment, ignore your moral tendencies, and follow this list of rules. And I think that's kind of, even though there is some risk involved with just letting people, you know, follow their innate morality and try to do what's best, I think there's a greater risk involved of making that sort of hard and fast list of rules and saying you just simply follow the rules and it doesn't, you know, the outcomes are irrelevant. And well, if, it, you, if you study the, the development of moral tendencies, there, there is a sort of a phase that, that kids go through that's very rules-based because they, they don't... Sure, black they, and white thinking. The whole, the whole um, right. idea of... Uh, working out conflicting issues and challenges based on values and these sorts of things, that's actually very hard work. And it's much easier to have a set of rules. It's like, oh, this is situation A, I'm going to follow the rule. And so it's, it's sort of a lesser developed, you know, moral sense of development. And, and eventually folk, most folks outgrow that and go on to yeah. later phases. One of, the, one of the real problems with rules is you, you can't have a rule for everything. And, and if, you start <laughs> having, if you start having rules that contradict each other, you, then, you're, then you've got a big mess. Yeah. And so the, the whole thing is just a non-starter. Yeah. And so, you know, I look, at, I look at the Bible, you know, it's a rule-based morality big time, right? It's follow these rules. And well, they're, they're, they're crappy rules and, and they contradict and, and it's just an obvious failure. <laughs> yeah, I think to me the most important thing is I have difficulty labeling following a rule set as a morality because to me what makes us moral agents is that moral judgment, right? That we mm. actually consider a situation and we weigh it and we think about it or that even that we even if it results in you just going with what you feel is most fair, to me that's more 
moral than following a rule. If you're just simply following the rule without any good reason to believe that it's the best action. So when people talk about like a rules-based morality, like what Don was talking about, I look at that and I tend to think of it more as an ethic, right? So there's this ethic that says, um, you know, is this a right action? Well, is it defined in the rules as this? Yes, then it's a right action. That's an ethic that appeals to like a list of rules. Basically, does it conform to the rules? If yes, then it's the right action. Yeah. That's it's a, fine for robots. Well, and it's also <laughs> fine for, in business, for example, right? So you have business ethics where yeah. you have things that, that can change. A business ethic doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a moral or right thing to do. So like in real estate, for yeah. example, they have like this rule that if you're working with a real estate agent, you're not allowed to solicit other agents while you're under contract with that original agent. Right. Now, right. there are some people who want to get a realtor and they're like, why shouldn't I be able to shop it. Like I could shop other things. If I wanted a yeah. plumber, I could go and get other plumber. And if the if the board of realtors said tomorrow we're changing that rule and we're going to let clients go out and solicit realtor, then that would be the new rule. It's not right or wrong. It's an ethic, right? So it, it just has to do with these are our particular rules and standards. This is what we use. This is our philosophy of why we use them. And sometimes we rewrite the rules or we adjust the rules to you know. And and it doesn't make mean that the prior rules were bad or that these are good right. or. It's just yeah. an ethic. There is no good or bad about it. It's an ethic. And when you're just simply, when somebody asks you, is this okay? And you run to the book and you look it up, you're not being moral. You're, you're being, you might be being ethical, right? Like you're, you're basing it on an ethic. Mm. And so I don't tend to look at, at that sort of rules-based, quote, morality as any morality at all. Because if you're not exercising moral judgment, if you're not being a moral agent, I don't know how you can say that what you're doing is even related to morality. Right. Like, I, I would say when it comes to to morality, to morals, you know, you often hear, uh, especially from the atheist onto the Christian, you know, don't uh, legislate your morality, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In all, in all actuality, we're all trying to legislate morality. It's just what morality is the right one and which is the set standard. Yeah, my thinking about legislation is generally that we're not legislating morality, but no laws should ever be immoral, right? We should never pass immoral legislation that is, like, harmful to people or that does harm or that allows massive harm to people. But at the same time, what we're trying to do with law is just make a harmonious interaction in in a large public setting, Right. right? You just want to make sure people aren't hurting each other every day. Um, whereas with morality, it's really more about like a social aspect of how we view other humans and how we treat them and whether or not we respect or regard them. The law doesn't, doesn't make me respect you. It just makes me behave in a certain way to not put you at some sort of, uh, risk. Hmm. Arm, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, if there's a law that makes me do things that are really bad and horrible to you, that would be an immoral law. And I would say, okay, legislation can't be immoral, but it doesn't necessarily have to be moral. It can be totally benign, right? It doesn't have to have any moral value at all. Over the long arc of time, I think our laws have become more more promoting freedom and more promoting equality. And and I think that that in the long run, those are good things, right? Well, we're trying to balance the individual freedoms with the social safety. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's what you're always trying to balance. And every time you get uh, anywhere close to that line is when you get controversy. Yeah. I think we've talked this through quite a bit. Um, I want to thank you for your call. And I think it was a good one. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. Okay, feel free to call back in the future. And we're going to go on and move to... 
Let's see. Oh, okay. So this one we're, is... We're running low on time, so we might want to... This may be our last caller, right? Uh, may, do we have a... Okay, so this is F- Phil in London. Okay. And he's calling because he had a revelation after the passing of his wife that helped him let go of the last of his religion. You're on with Tracy and Don. Hey. Hey. hey Tracy and Don. Hey. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Great. Great pleasure to uh, talk to you, two of my two of my favourite speakers. No, no disrespect to <laughs> no disrespect to the others, uh, other folks there. You're you're you're, you're all, all right. right. Uh, favourite ones today, anyway. What, uh, what what do you got for us, man? <laughs> well, 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 Don. Um, actually, while I was listening to the other speakers, I was trying to think right now how the hell can I whittle it down because, no, my luck, I'm going to be the last last person talking i tend to waffle all night and i thought i'm not going to talk the show out and run out of time and <laughs> be that guy so i'm not going to do that i'm going to uh, don't worry whittle, we're... i'm going to whittle several things down into one pithy thing um and maybe talk about some of the other stuff in, in the future call um what happened was I, I lost my wife, as the uh, screen callers uh, told you. Um, that was back at the end of February. And uh, I, I come from a Jewish background, I come from a Jewish family, uh, but n- not a religious background. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been sort of fairly secular. And I think I've probably been an atheist for as long as a person can be assigned a position, if you like. Um, pro- probably the last time I had I had a belief in anything uh, kind of wooified was when I was too young to to form a coherent to know better, um, understanding right? okay. of anything. Maybe about three or four years old. In fact, when I was um, I think when I was about five years old, my my first and last and very brief brush with um, uh, uh, of, of religion as something that one could actually believe in as, as, a, as a genuine thing was when I was exposed to Christianity at my, at my school because that was the predominant uh, thing there and back in those days you used to have a, a religious assembly at the start of school and I saw all these kids, the first time I ever saw it, I saw all these little school kids and when they came to pray at the end of the assembly they all did this gesture you know the thing that Christians do with their hands uh, when they pray, the they cross or the, together. Or the... and I thought, what the fuck are they doing? I'm not, I didn't <laughs> think of that. I didn't know such language at the age of five. <laughs> for my sake, um, we're not that. Bad I still wonder that, but go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I was a very literal, li- very literal little boy, and uh, I thought, well, hang on a second. Uh, they're 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 praying to God. Uh, not in the way that I've ever seen before. What are they doing with their hands? I thought, ah, I, I, I understand. What it is, they've all got like a little bit of God literally caught inside their hands, <laughs> and that's how they, they address him because they're making sure that little bit of God is inside. And that's that's how my brain <laughs> thought. Very lit- literally, I thought, yeah, that's how it was. And so um, each kind of religious proposition as I encountered it, normally purely by chance, um, I was so literal-minded that it got dismissed out of hand straight straight away. And then as things got more sophisticated, the question was simply more sophisticated, but it still got dismissed out of hand. Anyway, fast forward, um, 
I've I've still sort of hung on to some of my um, some of the rituals that my family does. You know, we we observe um, Passover, and the last few years I've I've actually led the Passover, and it's it's partly a, um, a family tradition. It, it it sort of marks the year, and we 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 celebrate years gone by. Uh, but I don't believe in any of the supernatural claims written in the text. Uh, but I can relate to some of the philosophies behind it um, in the same way as I could any great literature, whether it's written by a religious person or, or not. And I've, I've always felt quite settled with, with 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 that. I didn't feel I was there was any contradiction, but. Um, Attending religious services, I was still, I, I was still able to sort of find myself involved, um, kind of in, a, in 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 a deeper sense that left me a, 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 a sense of of contradiction because I knew I didn't believe in any of the claims. I didn't I didn't feel that I was communing with um, a being, a personal God. I didn't believe I was praying to somebody, but I felt that the act of communal worship had some meaning to me. And I wasn't sure whether I was just participating in a, in a social activity, which I could um, justify to myself and, and, and think made sense, or whether I had like a one last little bit of woo left in me that wanted to surface in whatever way it it, it might. Um, it didn't bother me that much, but it was an unresolved question. Um, now my wife died, unfortunately, end of end of February, and. Um, I, I, I mean, for, for for one thing, yeah. Regardless of of the sadness and and everything I, f I felt of it, I, I I never contemplated for one moment what's where's she gone. You know, I I you know she stopped breathing. I saw her lying there or her body lying there, and it was it was just a dead body. I didn't see my wife there. I I saw this was where she was five minutes ago. I didn't. It didn't occur to me. It was not natural for me to ask where is she now. That's the incoherent question. I just thought, well, her life, her life has ended. It's it's that old meta. I can't remember what one of you guys, Matt, or someone, um, or maybe one one of you two, often gives that metaphor of where does the flame go, go? when the candle's right. blown out sure when the can when the candle's blown out and it is it is exactly like that and i didn't have to struggle to make myself think that that's just my natural way of way of thinking um and in the you know in in, in the weeks that that came following that um, I had, my, my wife was was someone who had been very involved in um, a lot of sort of social things and community um, stuff, and and so I had a lot of people that, and political stuff on the sort of social um, you know side of things had been for many many decades, and she was a very very modest person, um, very hardworking, and I had a lot of people that approached me and said. You know what, your wife's work and her life meant so much to me, and yeah, you know, now we've got 
you know, a certain situation which she helped to bring about or, you know, she, she's left an influence. And I thought, well, you know. What a wonderful thing I, to say, right? I, it, it was the most, absolutely, absolutely, John. It was the most most wonderful thing I could possibly hope to hear. And um, the more the more I thought about it and, and the more I, the, the, I heard these things, the more I thought, well, this is actually the pinnacle of um what what we should what we should hope for um after after our life has has completed that you know we're not merely a memory i mean it's good to have good memories but we have good influences in the world mm-hmm. and um then it so happened you know like a, a couple of weeks later i had i can't remember what it was you know uh jehovah's witnesses or somebody called on on my door and they're, they're a little bit more subtle these days now in the olden days they used to show you a picture of paradise and say do you think this will ever happen and i say i bloody well hope not you know i'm going to be actively working against it uh but they're they're a bit more they're a bit more subtle now and they try they engage you in a sort of philosophical um discussion but i can still spot them immediately <laughs> and obviously they, they were presenting a, a variety of, of of christian view on salvation and one of the uh, although i'm not re- religious i am still um I, I still do come come from a background where i've developed my philosophical frameworks and vocabulary partly from 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 the jewish background we will develop our the structure of the way we formulate our our world views from something regardless of the actual facts that we believe and one one of the biggest differences between the christian point of view and the jewish point of view um is the Christians talk about personal salvation, what's going to happen to an individual soul, what's going to happen to you after death, you're going to go to heaven and or hell or whatever it is. And I said, look, for a start, I don't believe in any of that. But if I did, then I... I'm not. I don't. I, it's not even natural for me to think in terms of what happens to an individual. It's after death. It's what, what, a, how a person acts during their life and how they influence the community. And I said, I said, look, I, I said, your initiation of this discussion has just made me realise something really important. And it's kind of the opposite of what you guys were, were hoping, hoping for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's funny. I said, I said, I said, because if a if a dozen of of the top rabbis and learned Jews were to knock on my door and say, "Hey, we've just we've just been studying the Torah and the Talmud all night in relation to the question of your wife's um, uh, uh, fate." And yeah, we've studied this very, very carefully, and yeah, we can quote this rabbi and that rabbi, rabbi and that rabbi, and this and that. And we're very, very certain that she's now in the world to come. I would say yes, that's great, nice of you to say so, but that's a metaphysical question. You know, you might as well quote. quote Girdle's incompleteness theorem, and okay, I'll right. say it's, it's not relevant to our lives, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, however, I've had a few people come to me and say that my wife's influence is still exerting itself, and I would have a hundred thousand of those such things 
um, over anything any of those chief rabbis say. Not because the chief rabbis are not describing a, a greater paradise than anything that these people are saying, but um, because A, how the hell do they know? It's an abstract thing, it's a metaphysical thing. But secondly, more importantly, this is part of my revelation, is that the things that these people were reporting um, about the influence my wife had had and you know, the way that you know, their, 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 their sort of social structures are still um, partly benefiting you know, from what my wife did, uh, those, not only are they not metaphysical, they're actual things in the real world that real people are experiencing. Yeah, I would call that a, a life well lived, right? It's a life well lived, but not only that, it's a life that you can palpably point to and the after effects of it are still palpable and still existent. And so, you know, there, there, there you go. You know, if you want, I, I don't care if I'm immortal or not, but if, if I were to care about that, I would care about, well, how do I leave the world after, after I leave it? And that was such a powerful feeling. That was more, when I said to your screen caller, I may not even have, have expressed this very eloquently. It's quite, it's gone midnight here and I've been, been working very hard. But, but you know, you, you'll have to, have to trust me that, you know, when I thought about it, it was, it kind of struck me with the, with the full force. I'm pretty sure that a religious person, experiences when he has a so-called religious you know revelation because i thought that is actually what, yeah that what matters my, right yeah it's what matters and not only that it, it, it that's that's what matters about you know our life and and and, and our death and you know so that was a yeah that that was that was a tremendous you know tremendous thing so it was it was it had the full force as i say that perhaps a religious person might experience if they were to in quotes discover <laughs> that their loved one or they thought they discovered their loved one is in heaven at the right hand of god or whatever bollocks yeah, you can yeah. you, so you had a non-religious experience I had a non-religious <laughs> epiphany, right? A, a, a non-religious epiphany and, <laughs> and, right. and revelation, and I and I, I told the Jehovah's Witnesses about it, and and they were amazed, you know. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> and they converted <laughs> to atheism well, on the spot. <laughs> I think sometimes they, and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> I think sometimes they they pretend to be a little bit more impressed because that's how, yeah that's how they get you on yeah, their yeah. side. But I, I think we'll, we'll be back tomorrow. We loved your story. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> have a pamphlet. Absolute, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. For okay. Thank you, Michael. Oh, thank uh, you, Phil. Thank you. Yeah. Hope, it, hope it gives some some hope and um, and solace to other people going through a loss. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. That's Thank great. You. All right. Bye. Thank you. Okay. So we have a few um, quick announcements. Yeah, a few things. So uh, if you're if you're still on the line, I assume that our control room wants you to hold on. So don't hang up. And also, I want to just remind everybody that following the atheist experience, we will be airing uh, secular sexuality. So you know, be be stay tuned for that. There might be a slight delay, but um, it, it which will be coming up. And I want to thank the control room. Yeah, and today we can actually wave at them. We're supposed to. Yeah, yeah there they are. <laughs> these are these are the guys that make the show hey. happen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. And I think um, okay. thanks to everybody. And we have dinner coming up, pizza party. Okay. So. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about gig-speed internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed.